0: To succeed, teams have to operate almost as a collective consciousness, where you don't question the coach. You know, it's it's the antithesis of individuality. You're trying to become, the coaches are trying to manifest a, a, a hive mentality. So you have to be very cognizant of what's going on. The military does the same thing, that's why there's strict discipline there. They don't want individualism, they want uniformity. So. That is very analogous to what it means to be um, in a team, in a, in a sports context. And just so, so it's fine and that's beautiful and it teaches discipline and pushing yourself and, and, and working with a group of, of, of comrades towards, a, towards a, a singular goal and you can help each other get there and that's beautiful. Just remember, this might not be your highest calling in life and then when it comes to sacrificing your health, be ready to be an individual before you're a team member. This is Journey Bailey. I am a Second Impact Syndrome survivor, and I am here to tell you about my story and the things I've learned. I hope you enjoy it. This is the newest episode of the Heads and Tails podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Somm, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Head & Tails podcast. This week I'm excited to bring you another fellow Second Impact Syndrome survivor, Journey Bailey, um, who's currently in Austin. Are you at, at the University of Texas right now?
0: Uh yes yeah that's where I'm going I've been going there for about two years now when I first I moved to Austin right after high school I uh, started attending uh, Austin Community College until I got my GPA high enough uh, and they let me into UT and I'm actually in the middle of my last semester
1: cool and you're studying uh, journalism
0: I was studying journalism I, I bet you got that from from the article on Huffington. yeah yeah uh, so at the time when I wrote that that was my aspiration, but I actually switched to being a government major with a minor in French. Okay. And um, I decided to go the government route because I um, uh, ultimately decided I wanted to go to law school after. So I thought a government major was more directly transferable to uh, to the legal
1: profession. All right, cool. Uh, so, Jerry, I'm excited to hear about kind of your, your story. I, I read it online, the Huffington Post article. I, I'm like, if this guy talks as well as he writes, I'm like, this should be a pretty good uh, interview. So I'm, I'm, ex- I'm excited that Huffington Post article was awesome. Thank um, you. I it. So what position did you play in football?
0: Um, I was a bit bigger than I am now. Um, when I was in high school, I, I played fullback and middle linebacker. So Me too. Did you really? I didn't know that. So, yeah, right. So, I think, I, you know, I think, tell me, maybe you know this, but I think certain positions might be more prone to having head injuries. And if that's true, I would think being a fullback and linebacker would be one of the top tier positions where you're mo- most likely to accumulate those head hits.
1: Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think, like, the number of hits that you get would probably be on the offensive line. But the number right. and the severity, I think, would go towards the running backs, fullbacks, linebackers, because like it's maybe yeah. not every play you're getting hit in the head, but when you do get hit in the head, it's a lot harder than like the linemen who are bashing skulls down there in the trenches.
0: Exactly right. Because you have a running head start. You have like a little like you know ten foot dash before you go full on. So yeah. So yeah, that, yeah. That was my position. I was really big on um, laying the heavy hits. So I thought that was the coolest thing. Um, you know, even even when I'm running the ball. I would look up to players like Jerome Bettis coming up and I just thought running over people was the coolest thing in hindsight. Of course, I wish I would have gone for the, you know, more agile approach instead of banging
1: heads. Every time I got the opportunity, dude, I got chills because I think the same thing to myself. Cause that was exactly how I played too. Like I played to run people over and obviously you, you did the same thing. And I think it goes into that like linebacker fullback mentality. Like, Not only is the culture of, which we'll get into, like the culture of toughness in football, you know, apparent for every player who plays it, but I feel like it's a heightened uh, culture for those fullbacks and linebackers. Like you're constantly told to kind of sacrifice your body for the good of the team. So before we get into all that um, cultural discussion, uh, can you just take us through the events that kind of led up to your second impact syndrome?
0: Yeah, gladly. Um I was trying to rehearse this in my head in anticipation of this um conversation. So the details might be a little blurry, but um I can give you the general chronology of what it what happened. So um I was participating in a game. I think it was a Saturday was when we had our JV football games and um and I don't remember this was this was the game I sustained the first concussion. So I'm I'm sure you obviously know and you maybe many of your listeners know, but you know, second impact syndrome is you get one concussion and then sustain another one before the first one has had time to heal. So, so the first concussion was during this game on a Saturday and I don't recall the exact hit where it happened. Um, it might've been an accumulation of many hits, but anyway, so that weekend I just had a headache, you know, I couldn't, I could hardly turn my neck without feeling a rattling. So, um, I, uh, you know, I told my mom, of course, who encouraged me to talk to the trainer, um, and I think I even saw a physician somewhere in there, and they actually told me I had to sit out that week. The following week, um, and I was really bummed because my dad, who lived in uh, Las Vegas at the time, uh, or mind you, I was in Oregon. He he had flown over to see me play that week, so I was really bummed I had to sit out um, that game when he flew all the way to see me. Um, but anyway, so I take a week off. Um, you know, I'm, I'm doing physical therapy with the trainer, just riding bikes and stuff. And then I ask him, uh, if I can play the following week and, you know, he has me do the bike one more time. He says I can go in. Uh, I go to practice that week and there were some signs that I hadn't fully recovered that I wish I, or one of my coaches or the trainer would have picked up on. So I, I was just, um, abnormally fatigued. And I actually, during during um, conditioning at the end of practice, I threw up that week. Um, and that's really rare. I don't think I ever threw up in my entire uh, short career in uh, playing football and youth, playing youth football up until that point. But um, anyway, I didn't heed that warning. Um, I went into play that weekend, and everything felt normal. Everything felt good. And then it was actually... Fortunately, it was the last play before halftime. So, um, just to recap: This is two weeks after I sustained the first concussion. Um, I had the first one, took a week off, went back to practice. This is the now. This is now exactly two weeks later. Back in the game, last play before halftime. I. Um, it's just a normal hit, not like a not one of those super Brian Urlacher, Ray Lewis skull cracking hits. Uh, just just a typical you know tackling someone off into the sideline and um, and I think I felt like a little bit of a snap in my brain but um, as we retreated to the locker room for halftime um, I just started getting dizzier and dizzier and all of a sudden I you know my coach is giving the halftime uh, speech and I just you know blacking out I can't you know I'm not paying attention I I just get trapped in this little psychosis of, of pain. Um, and pretty soon, the rest of the team evacuates back out onto the field after halftime. I'm still sitting there. Uh, a, a buddy of mine, um, this was an away game, so he got the trainer, the away trainer, who was on duty that day. And um, so when my friend went to go get the trainer, the, the rest of the team was gone. My coaches were gone. I was just, just in the locker room uh, by myself, and I just I threw up like three times just violently exploded everything in my stomach um out onto the, the to the locker room floor uh at that away at that away game and the sports trainer comes in the first thing he says is you threw up all over my floor and uh <laughs> um and so anyway so he you know my my mom has been contacted at this point and um you know so the trainer says, I don't need an ambulance, you know, by his approximation. Um, but anyway, so you know, he just thinks I had a concussion. I just thought I had a bad concussion. Uh, you know, I was just thinking not again. Um, and so anyway, my uh, my mom drives me to a local hospital. This is kind of a small town and they take the CAT scan and immediately they say, um, we need to get you in an ambulance and, and uh, shoot you over to Portland. Emmanuel hospital as quick as possible, you know, within an hour, maybe two hours, they're putting me under anesthesia. Um, you know, I'm counting back from 10. I don't remember getting to five and, you know, and then I wake up, um, God, you know, I think the surgery was five hours. Maybe I woke up 10 hours later altogether and it was just like this phantasmagorical, um, hellish, resurgence into consciousness where I was just blacking in and out just like hyperventilating with tubes down my throat and you know that that was it that that's the injury and um it's been a slow road ever since back to normalcy you could call it that
1: yeah I mean your story is very similar to mine in a lot of ways and I remember you said that you you feel like your brain was like rattling inside your head like even when you just like move your neck and, like, yeah. that, that was me 100%. And I think if there's athletes listening to this that, I mean, you've probably had a headache before, right, like but after games or after practice. Yes, right?
0: yes.
1: Yeah, so this headache was, like, so much different. And, like you said, like, for me, I always tell my story, we were running sprints, like, after our game the following day. And mm-hmm. it felt like my brain was, like, rattling inside my head. And I yeah. didn't tell anyone. So yeah. I mean, it's, it was a different kind of headache, and I think that's why we both should have said something. So I was Absolutely. so I was, I was interested too that like in your story, so like I, I collapsed on the sideline and I had a grand mal seizure, I wasn't breathing, all that stuff. So it seems like you were able to avoid that, but they they saw it on your CAT scan that you had a subdermal subdural hematoma, right?
0: Yes. Exactly. Um, I was very fortunate in that regard where I never lost consciousness the whole time. Um, uh, you know, I, I have a, a firm recollection of, you know, every moment from that hit I described before halftime all the way to the surgery more or less. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, and I don't, I don't know if that the fact that I never lost consciousness, um, actually made the lingering effects of the brain trauma less so in the ensuing in the ensuing months. But, um, but yeah, I mean, for some reason I never lost consciousness and I've never read another story of someone who didn't lose consciousness from a subdural hematoma.
1: Right. Yeah. It's just, it's interesting. And the thing with, with like mine is that I lost consciousness for about 15 minutes And my athletic trainer was, like, breathing for me uh, with one of those bag valve masks. But all of a sudden, I just, like, snapped out of it. And then, like you said, like, I could recall everything from the moment, like, everything in the game that I was in to the point where I was sitting on the sideline talking to my athletic trainer. And then I woke up in the helicopter when they were bringing me to the hospital. And everything after that, I remember. So it's like, maybe there is something to it where, like, if you cognitively can stay, you know, with yeah. it for a certain amount of time, like you, you get lucky, you end up as lucky as we did, I guess. Um, so yeah. what, what was the official diagnosis when you, uh, like once they, I guess, got to the hospital and like, what kind of surgery do they perform on you to kind of relieve the pressure on your brain?
0: So it was, um, I probably don't have all the medical jargon down, but it was a craniotomy um, to the left frontoral quadrant of my skull. Um, you know, I remember uh, pretty vividly, um, you know, when I got to the hospital in Portland and, um, you know, I was laying down on the gurney, obviously on the table with the, you know, the tubes in my head um, and the, the surgeon came in, a guy named Dr. Cheryl. And he had one of those skulls in his hand, like an anatomy skull. Um, and he said, you know, he's explaining the surgery. So first all I hear is, you know, you have blood, you're bleeding in your brain. We need to drain it. So I'm just thinking they're going to like stick a syringe in there, you know, just just like a little, just put tiny holes, tube, let it bleed out. So he, he puts this, you know, replica skull. He holds it up. He's like, we're going to cut off this part. And I was like, like, a whole quarter like a whole like quarter uh you know half a hemisphere of my brain or of, of my cranium rather and um and so so yeah it was removed um they uh i'm not sure exactly the the procedure of the surgery but you know they suck the brain out with some kind of surgical vacuum and then they put the skull back and um i think they use sutures to um yeah, if, if I recall, I haven't thought about this in a while, but um, sutures that uh, disappear over time. Okay. And okay. um, and yeah, so that that was it.
1: Yeah, I also had a craniotomy, but my my the hole in my skull is only the size of like a quarter, like it's a like a small hole. Really? Yeah. So. Really. Yeah, I don't know, but Interesting. it's weird. Yeah, because I know like one other kid that I uh, interviewed who was lucky like us, um, Brett Wysinski, He. Yeah he had like half of his skull removed and it, that, and like when they put it back in, it like didn't take. So now he has like a prosthetic, like skull inside uh, Mm -hmm. or in his head. Um, so what was, so you had the surgery and what was the recovery like after that?
0: Man, it was uh that was a dark period. Um, Driving home from the hospital, I remember my, you know, I think I was laying down in the back of my mom's Prius that she had at the time, you know, we're going, so I, so the town I was living in is a small football town, 15 minutes south of Portland, so it's kind of like a suburban uh, spot, and so my mom's driving me from the hospital in Portland to to, to home in that in that town, 15 minutes south. And um, I remember actually having a a small feeling of euphoria, like I was glad to have survived. It kind of felt spiritual in a way um, to have made it to the other side of of such catastrophic injury. Um, But I think I was being naive because I didn't know. I no one had ever told me in the football culture. Um, No doctor, no physician had ever had made me aware of what the lingering psychological effects were going to be. And so, so that brief trip of euphoria, which in recollection was probably gilded by the painkillers I was on. (laughs) Um, You know, that, that was, that was, that was short lived. Um, I I couldn't go back to school. I had to, um, the injury happened in the middle of a semester, my uh, sophomore year in high school. I could not return to classes, obviously. Uh, from the cognitive deficits, I recall not being able to read uh, a single page without getting a headache. The focus wasn't there. I spent, um, you know, 90% of the day laying on the couch with, um, you know, a bottle of pain pills, watching recorded shows on, on my DVR. Um, you know, thank God for South Park uh, and (laughs) Family Guy got me through that, that dark time. So, um... So that, so that eventually I got back into school. Um, I, um, I was prescribed Adderall to help restore some of the cognitive function that had been deteriorated since the injury. And th- being prescribed Adderall raised a whole host of problems, which I won't get into right now because I'm actually working on another piece um, that should be finished soon, and I'm going to submit it to the Huffington Post. Hopefully it'll be published there. Cool. Um, I go into that part in detail. Um, but anyway, um, so I'm back in school, back in school and, you know, I, I just, I've lost all motivation. I'm depressed at this time. Um, dents are starting to form in my skull along the line where the incision was made to, to take out my skull. You know, I feel like a freak. Um, I had a, I had always had short hair or, you know, for the previous few years I had had short hair. Uh, I grew out my hair to the length, uh, similar length, similar length that it is now, to try and hide those dents because I was just so ashamed. I felt like I was damaged goods. Um, you know, I, I was in such a bad place um, emotionally that I didn't even graduate high school on time. So I had I had a cousin um, in a town that was contiguous with the one I was living in, um, and we were going. He was my age, so we we're going to have our graduation party together with all the family, all the banners, all the graduation paraphernalia, we ordered to say um, congratulations, Dylan and Journey. And my grades were so bad following the injury that I didn't even graduate on time. So it was kind of (laughs) awkward explaining to all the family (laughs) members why I wasn't, I was going to be sitting with them in the bleachers instead of walking with my cousin.
1: Yeah, Uh, so, so
0: that was like two years after the injury.
1: Well, you had a bit of an excuse, I guess. But when you said that yeah. you lacked the motivation, you yeah. know, where do you think that came from? Like, I know when I had my injury, my lack of motivation kind of came maybe like a year or so after. Mm-hmm. But it was largely due to my like football identity and how it was taken away. So, what was Absolutely. like? What was your what was the reason for your lack of motivation?
0: I felt like it's so similar to what you just expressed about having your identity taken away. So part of having that identity taken away is also having your anticipated future confiscated from you. You know, so I thought I would get into college at some D3, maybe a D2 school, um, you know, through some kind of scholarship that that was my highest ambition you know another thought had not even crossed my mind of how I would go forward with my future um with higher education or otherwise without football and all of a sudden there's no football my so like you said your identity has gone which means your future is gone which means your world is in chaos you know like I, I feel like depression and hopelessness and anxiety is paralleled to be living in chaos, not knowing what you're going to be doing in five years or two years or one year. Um, so I think it came from not knowing what I was going to do next. You know, my whole world had been tipped on its on its head. Um, so there's that part of just about having my plans, my life plans interrupted by the injury. Um, but then also at this time, I was starting to become aware of the cognitive um inefficiencies i was going to have to live with and could get worse you know like i already mentioned my skull my skull was physically deteriorating um if you ran your 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 fingers through my through my hair right now on the left side it would you would you know it would feel like you were um you know rubbing your fingers over um like a dirt bike trail It's bumpy you know so there's that physical component Um, I was worried about my mental capabilities deteriorating alongside it Um, so I had no future in my mind and I could be you know um, mentally disabled to some extent and it was just a, a perfect cocktail of hopelessness and despair for those first few years.
1: Yeah, and I think it's interesting that you said first few years because that's pretty much what it was for me, too. It's not just like a couple months or like weeks. It's like it's taken years to kind of like, you know, find a a new identity uh, outside of of football. So, did you ever have any like hobbies outside of football, like while you were playing or? You know, not while I was playing.
0: So, but after, I actually got into making rap music for a while, um, that's cool. oddly enough, as a white kid from the suburbs. But <laughs> that was um, a good distraction for me. Um, you know, and, and I made songs with my friends. It was just something to do. Um, and that essentially was from about the time, like a, a couple months after the surgery, um, to my graduation. Um, that was primarily my, my, um, my top priority um, uh, when it comes to feeling like I had some kind of a purpose, you know, it was just a fun thing to do to replace the daily grind, uh, that football used to fulfill.
1: Well, I think there's something to be said about creativity. And I think athletes really are creative at heart, whether they think so or not. And I think the arts like music and whether it's painting or sculpting or whatever it might be, if you're creating something, I feel like it's a great distraction. Like, do you feel that you know, creating the rap music helped you in your recovery? Like it got you through some, some hard times or like, did that set you on a, a path of success? Certainly. Well, yes and no,
0: because yes, in terms of rap was a new carrot stick to, to dangle in front of my ambitious personality it was a new thing to yearn for a new kind of perfection that you obviously know and all the athletes listening know that when you're committed to a sport like you're envisioning yourself being the best you know like the Muhammad Ali um you know the LaDainian Tomlinson I I haven't paid attention to football for so long I'm not even sure if I'm saying his name right or if he's even playing you're good um, I don't think he plays anymore but Right, right. So, but you want to be the best, and so, so in terms of having a new goal to be the best at um, music and writing lyrics was a new target, and so that was healthy. But at that time, incidentally, it was coupled with uh, a posse of friends who were into um, a lot of negative health habits. Let's say, you know, we're the typical. Um, you know, um, sluggish, um, burnout kids making music in a, in our uh, parents' garage. So, um,
1: I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> so it came with some other, other things too. Uh, but what kind of stuff did you write about? Like f- for the music?
0: Well, I made one song pertaining to the injury. Um, and, but that that was kind of isolated. It was still something I was really insecure about because I felt like it made me a freak. Um, but I remember one line in that song um, was, I'll probably have Por- Parkinson's by the time I'm 40. And I probably wrote that at 16, I think, or 17. So it was kind of, it was, I mean, I guess that was a little cathartic to be writing Um, To be able to express that pain, because I feel like, and tell me if you have ever felt similarly, um, until you've had a serious brain injury and have lived with the effects after that, it's really hard to comprehend. And I felt like a lot of people were just kind of looking at it as if I had broken a leg, you know, or, you know, fractured my femur. And so it was an opportunity to express the emotional toll that are unique to head and head injuries. Um, So 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 I made one song like that. But I mean, other other than that, it was, um, you know, I I was really into the lyrical part. I would try just to compile polysyllabical rhyme schemes and work with wordplay. And um, I, I really became obsessed with it. So, you know, going back to the first positive aspect of it, it was a nice distraction to replace football.
1: That's cool. And yeah, I I know what you're saying. I think today I, I'm lucky that I don't I don't have I never really noticed any negative detriments to my cognitive abilities or my physical abilities from the injury. Yeah. But it does cross my mind frequently about what it's going to be like, you know, 10 years, 20 years from now. Certainly. I'm more worried about the people who are going to have to take care of me as opposed to myself. Cause I probably won't even know what's going on, but uh, we'll, we'll hope that that's not how it actually turns out. <laughs> Hopefully man. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you as someone who, you know, has a
0: very similar he- head injury record, uh, to me, cause I'm going to talk to, um, you're probably you're actually the first, um, fellow second impact syndrome survivor I've ever talked to. So
1: there's so not many you, of us. <laughs>
0: you, there's not many. Yeah. Right. It's really rare. And a lot of people who had our same injuries. Uh, or same injury are already, um, cognitively debilitated to a state where they need, um, assisted living. In fact, you know, I guess um, now that I have a second to think about it, I did meet another guy who had our injury and he had to live with a caretaker. You know, he was, um, he was, you know, like noticeably, uh, cognitive, cognitively affected to a, to a significant state. But anyway, what I was going to ask was, um, do you, how have you ever gone through periods like the first few years after the injury where you really were obsessed about maybe developing CTE or what would happen in your forties or fifties? You know, how do you, how do you deal with that?
1: Honestly, like the first few years after, I think I was so wrapped up in not being able to play football and trying to hold on to that tough masculine, like, I don't know. Yeah. Embodiment that, I didn't really think about CTE or, like, my my long, like the long-term effects of the injury. I was more just worried about, like, who I am. I was dealing with, like, girlfriend issues and just trying to, like, lift weights. I was struggling in school, mostly because, like, I just wanted to play football again. And oh, really? Yeah, because that's all I knew. Like, I yeah. felt like my only worth that I could give to the world was through the sport of football. You know, playing football. And when I didn't have that outlet anymore, I was, like, lost and just searching for something. Mm. Um, I would say it wasn't until really recently where, you know, I have a girlfriend. Uh, I've, we've been together for a long time. And, like, I just think about her having to take care of me if I'm, like, you know, struggling. And I I don't know if you've seen the movie, like, uh, Gleason, Team Gleason. No. Yeah, I, I probably wouldn't watch it if I were you. <laughs> it's like about this full player who has ALS. Um, yeah, and it's like the saddest freaking thing in the world. I'm like, I would, I would, I do not want someone to have to take care of me like that. And I, obviously, he doesn't either. And I can see the frustration like in his face. But anyway, I I, yeah. dig, I digress from from that uh, point. But yeah, I mean, I think it's normal to kind of have concerns about that, especially because people who didn't have our serious, uh, as serious of a brain injury as we did develop these kind of things, you know, after their careers. So.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly, man. I mean, for me, it was a really hard thing to, and I use the past tense was it's easier now, but it still is something I struggle with. Like every time I'm always constantly checking my mental state. So if I, if I forget, like, you know, a typical example would be yesterday, you know, I'm going to the gym and I'm wondering, wait, did I put on deodorant this morning? You know, because I don't want to, you know, um, be radiating my, my BO for the entire yeah. weight room. So, but it's just like a little thing like that. And I'm sure people who have never had, hit, never had head injuries will forget whether they put on deodorant or maybe brush their teeth that morning. But for me, when a moment like that happens, I, my brain can spiral. Like is this the beginning? I and mean, like is this normal? Like I was like questioning myself. like th- is this a weird thing, you know? Um, is this the beginning of the end? Is this the beginning of a cascade of uh, mental deterioration that I'm on the precipice of right now? And if I could impart anything to your listeners, um, athletes who are playing right now in some sport that has a potential risk for head injuries, maybe you've had a few concussions. Like, I wish every day, so bad, I could go back and and stop playing after my first head injury or maybe, not, maybe have made the decision to not play at all, for me personally, just because of what this is like day to day, um, no matter, you know, how many good grades I get, uh, no matter how many articles I have published, I'm just always worried, like, am I... You know, I'm about to go down a slope like Aaron Hernandez, who I'm sure I don't know if you've heard over the last couple of days, but it came out. His brain was um, um, had been ravaged by CTE. Um, and so like the psychological scarring for me and the paranoia and anxiety is the worst aspect of, of having uh, a history of traumatic brain injury.
1: Yeah. I could definitely say, I could definitely see that. And I do that all the time. Like I'll walk into a room and I forget why the hell I went in there. And then like, you know, two minutes later I'll remember, Oh, that was what I wanted to do. Uh, part of me, I mean, I guess I just, I have a different filter. So like, I don't, my, my first thought isn't like, Oh my God, I probably have CTE. Like my brain's declining. My thing is like Mm -hmm. with the podcast, I have a full-time job on top of that. I have all this stuff going on. I'm like, I think I just have so much stuff going on I'm like, I'm not, I'm never focused completely. Like I always have a million different things running through my head. So I blame it. I blame it on that. Uh, Who knows what it really is. But, um, I don't know. It's one of those things like, you're right. Like you could drive yourself insane by like having those thoughts constantly, you know, to, and worrying about it. And I know in your Huffington post article, you mentioned some bouts with depression and, you know, even suicidal thoughts. So can you kind of dive into that a little bit? And I'm sure people listening, you know, will will have similar experiences that they can relate to you.
0: Yeah. So, so, so the thing that's so pernicious about brain injuries is your brain is your personality. So, so your brain is who you are. It's, it's a manifestation of your essence um, and all the different compartments within your your neurological landscape inside your brain make you who you are so when that is threatened it 's like it 's like someone has stuck a knife into the in theor- ethereal conceptual conceptualization of who you actually are so when so so if it feels like a chunk of your spirit in a way has been removed. And I think that's what can be so depressing about it. I think in that Huffington Post article, I have a line um, about, you know, the, the devastation of realizing you're not going forward in life with the full capacities, the full mental capacities you were born with, That that they have been jeopardized, that you are, you know to some extent, and you're not, you can, you know, you never know how, to which extent, to the, how deep it goes, but in some way you're not born, you're not living life with all of the gifts mentally that you could have had. Um, you know, somehow you are less than you used to be. You are you know, and this is just explaining like the mindset that I had at the time. You know, the darkest mindset. I don't think like this all the time, but it's easy to go to a place where you feel like you will never be the same, uh, because your brain has physically been permanently damaged, and that that by itself is bad. But kind of reversing to what I was saying a moment ago, that in conjunction with the anxiety about where that could go so you so you're at where you're where you are right now and maybe maybe you're comfortable right now you know maybe um you can get good grades you could have a good job you could have a romantic relationship but every time a cte study comes out or you hear about someone like aaron hernandez it just reminds me of where it all could go and so like you what you were saying about not wanting um your loved ones like your girlfriend or parents to have to take care of you when you're a sh- when you become a shell of of uh, who you used to be. Um, for me, the thought has crossed my mind many times that I might just blow my brains out if I saw myself slipping towards that path. And the dangerous part is when you start wondering enough, if you are declining cognitively, you can kind of start to convince yourself that you are. And I think in the times I've been most suicidal post injury, they've been the pockets of time where I had really convinced myself that I was declining, that that this was the end. Um I don't want people to remember me as this guy drooling on his shirt, um as the person with a, you know, dramatically sh- a dramatically a uh, shorter temper you know, someone who is inarticulate, someone who, um, is brash and stupid, you know, I would just want to blow my brains out. And so people could remember me as the, as how, how I truly was not what I, um, devolved into being. So, you know, and it's just something I, I like what you said about how you don't think about it as much because you're busy. I mean man, like that's the best recipe they remedy I think uh, rather is just to oc- occupy your mind and uh, find meaning in every day but you know i'm I'm very sympathetic to anyone listening who's not there yet. Um, it took me a long time to get out of that, and I hope I never returned but
1: um, that's yeah, it I so. mean I mean first off, you're one of the most articulate people I've ever. Listen to. So you don't have to worry about uh, that department. (laughs) Um, But the other things that I was listening to when you were saying, I think what you're talking about with like, you're only going to ever be a shell of yourself, like you're going to have to go through life being, you know, a a fraction of what you could have been. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that relates to people even without brain injuries, like people who have a knee injury or a shoulder injury or something that keeps them from doing something that they normally once loved to do. And cause I, I just had, I had knee surgery like two years ago and I used to be huge into CrossFit. That was one of those things, like you said, like trying to get better at something and improve. Like that was my thing that kind of pushed me past the identity struggle that this uh, particular brain injury did to me. Um, I hurt my knee and then I think about that all the time I'm like what if I just didn't want to be such a freaking meathead and like have to lift the heaviest weight in the gym I'm like my knee would be (laughs) fine I could jog around and I can go through life completely okay but because I you know at the time I was still in this freaking macho masculine mindset I just freaking screwed myself over and the more I think back to it I'm like every time I've ever hurt myself seriously and almost killed myself on a football field was always because of that mindset of always trying Mm -hmm. to push the limits and to see how far I can push my body and to, you know, sacrifice like my ego overcame like my rational thoughts of like what's safe and what's smart. So exactly, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That ego. Yeah, for sure. And so I, I completely relate to what you're saying. I think you're, you gave good advice to the listeners who might be going through something similar in that, you know, the busier that you can keep your mind, is that kind of what what did it for you to kind of get you out of those uh, low points?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm my most happiest now when I'm completely occupied. So I'm actually in a good space right now because I'm in the middle of a semester um, and I I have a part-time job uh, just to bring in some income and um, a girlfriend and um, we're going to be moving soon. So the more thing, you know, I'm working on that article I was talking about. So the more things that are going on, the, the better I feel. And another thing that I don't know if uh, you or your listeners might find interesting, because I've been a classical meathead too. But one thing I've been incorporating into my workout regimen is uh, yoga, like Bikram yoga, which is the hot, you know, the hot kind where you're just um, dripping gallons of sweat and focusing on deep breathing. And I found a lot of serenity in walking out of those classes of feeling uh, more in tune, more accepting, uh, kind of ch- putting that ego in check you are just talking about. Um, and, you know, I don't think anyone's ever gotten uh, a brain bleed from yoga. So that's also a, a positive.
1: Yeah, it's funny you say that because I'm actually interviewing on Monday a guy named Grant Ma- Grant Matos. Uh, he was uh-huh. a former NFL guy and he turned into, he was also on the show survivor and he's, and he's turned into like a yogi. He's like all about yoga and he's in the process of writing a book or self publishing a book. Uh, so, and one of the questions I said, I sent to him was, um, did your ego, did you have to like check your ego at the door to start doing yoga? Because it's like the opposite of football, you know, like it's the opposite of that like macho kind of American mentality that, you know, a lot of us athletes have. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah
0: I mean, it'll, it'll just if you take one class, it'll completely check that ego because it's so hard. Like you, like you are dying. It's it's weird. You don't you wouldn't think so because you watch people do it. You're like, oh, you're just like standing on one foot. Like you know, try try running up, try sprinting up the 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 stairs on um the bleachers. You know, um, try try deadlifting three hundred pounds. But honestly, man, like, it'll just kill you. And then it's such a brutal workout. Your ego will be scared to to go back, you know, surprisingly enough.
1: Yeah, and I I hear more and more people that are getting into yoga. And I don't know. I think it's a a cool outlet. And plus, I think there's something to say about just sweating in general. Like, from being an athlete and going into a life after your sport, like – I feel like sweating is somewhat therapeutic and if you're, if hot yoga is a good way to to get a sweat in, then I think that it will be beneficial to your psyche.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. I found that. Uh,
1: Okay. So can you take like, can you take us through your concussion history prior to second impact syndrome? Like knowing what you know now that you have like 20 concussions, because I know that's how I, I am.
0: (laughs) Yeah. um, So I think as obviously as you know, and many of the listeners know you when you play a sport like football i'd imagine hockey mixed martial arts and even soccer any sport where concussions are a significant possibility you actually kind of have no idea really how many concussions you've had because we've all seen stars you know uh, a myriad of times in practice too many to count and you don't know how many of those were minor concussions Uh, so setting that aside the concussions i do know about um actually started at a young age. I, at the time, I think I was four years old. Um, I was at this private preschool and we were in, you know, the, the gym class, the gym part of the day. And um, there was a hard wood floor, like a basketball court. And there was a ball. I tried to balance on it like a, like a stupid four-year-old might. And um, I slipped back and I think that knocked me out. You know, it's kind of hard to recall when you're four years old. Because everything's a blur anyway, but I'm pretty sure that knocked me out. It was definitely a concussion. Uh, Two years later, at the age of six, um, I was living, my brother, my mom and I were living with her new husband at this house that was kind of on a hill. And it had these trees on the hill that had these weird vines hanging down from it. And, you know, this was just when Disney's uh, cartoon version of Tarzan had come out. And so we just wanted to swing on those vines and we would do it all day. You know, we must have done it a hundred times until I was the unlucky one swinging on it and it snapped and I fell like 15 feet. Uh, I think
1: that knocked me out, too. Damn. to the hospital. So but that just also goes to show that, you know you can really get concussions anywhere. You know, it's not That's just true. specific to football. I know you mentioned before that part of you wishes that you never played football. Yeah. And I don't, I don't feel necessarily necessarily the same way. Like I loved playing football to this day. Like some of my best memories are from playing football and I just wish I played differently. Like I wish I wasn't the guy who tried to run everyone over, be a freaking meathead. Like I wish I was the guy who steps out of bounds instead of trying to run the guy over to get an extra yard, you know? Um, And actually today, just a a short little side story. There's these, a family of kids in in my town uh, and I know their father and their father wanted me to talk to him about, kind of my injury and just like how to play safe and play like learn from my mistakes, I guess. And one Mm -hmm. of the kids struggled with concussions, which is why like early on in his youth career and which is why he wanted me to talk to this kid to, I don't know if he wanted me to talk him out of football or just to, you know, kind of just knock some sense into him like before he gets into high school football. And I told him like, you have to be okay with prioritizing your health. I'm like only you have to live with your body for the rest of your life. So whether your teammates are giving you crap for stepping out of bounds or for not running a guy over or for co- like they're calling you soft or you're not playing hurt, you know, you have to be okay with comfortable enough with yourself that, you know, you can take yourself out and be still as as confident in yourself. And I went to go watch him play today before we, we hopped on this call mm-hmm. and he was playing quarterback he was scrambling. I was like, Oh, let's see what he does. And he was, he got the first down and he stepped out of bounds before the guy hit him. I'm like, that's a freaking smart guy. That's how you continue your career in a, in a healthy way. Yes, absolutely.
0: Yeah. I totally, totally concur with that. Um, uh, if you are going to play football, I mean, absolutely. You have to be willing to stand up for yourself even against your coaches. And it's so hard, I think, especially for a young person, you know, Elementary school through high school even college even NFL. I mean the whole time I obviously I've never played in the college or NFL, but I I could imagine the pressure would be even higher and you you know every Every time you're sprinting on the treadmill or um, you know lifting weights in the gym and dieting Only eating the best food you know all this effort you put into it. You're doing it to be the best of the best and What's intrinsic to that is impressing your coaches because they're the gateway between um, you and how much playtime you end up receiving. And so when you start to get the very real, accurate impression that your coaches are going to penalize you um, through playing time if they think you're being a wuss, you know that is really hard for a young person who really wants to succeed to, to push through. And so I think that's a really positive message, what you gave – that kid, um, because that could have made a world of difference to people like you and I.
1: Yeah. And I say it all the time, like I would never blame my coach for like what happened to me. The mm-hmm. only thing that I do say is that I just want coaches to know that like their athletes hang on to every word. So like whether you're kidding or not by like calling a kid a sissy or whatever, like I wanted to. The only thing I wanted in the entire world when I was 17 years old was for my football coach to think that I was tough. That's all I cared about, <laughs>
0: yeah. and
1: I would do anything to make that happen, and which is why I played with a freaking bleeding brain. You know, like yeah. I think if people, if coaches are aware that you know, you have to be careful with the ones who would do anything for you and it would run through a brick wall for you because, you know, yeah. you could say one wrong thing and they're they're like dead set in in their mindset, you know, so that's
0: so true, man, yeah, yeah, that what you just said is really striking to the heart of uh what needs to change about this culture is that I think you know when you think about a coach, you know this is just like someone's dad who 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 played football in college, maybe, and now they you know they think it'll be fun to to coach to these younger players and be a mentor, but Especially when it comes to head injuries, they might not realize the power and influence they have and how their words could impact um, their players for the rest of their lives. And if they say the wrong words or give the wrong influences, it could steer their players into making health decisions that are going to permanently affect them for a temporary game. Right. You know, and all of a sudden, you know, a school sport you know you're supposed to we taxpayers fund schools to develop the brain all of a sudden you know you're playing for that institution that's supposed to develop your brain and is actually um deteriorating it so you know ironically enough so it is very important i think coaches really do need to sink their teeth into the magnitude of power they have
1: yeah and because it could be that power could be put into like such a great thing. You know, they, they, I think yes. to me, they're the gatekeepers of the culture. You know, if, if, if anything's going to change, that's where it's got to change because, you know, players, ha- players just want to please, you know, their coach. They want to get admiration from their coaches. So yeah, um, man. absolutely. Um, yeah. During your, uh, your Huffington Post article, you mentioned, you know, the idea of being a team player. So can you just kind of talk about your thoughts on that and how that kind of went into your story and also, you know, how that goes into the culture that we're talking about? Yeah. So, yeah. So just continuing along what we're talking
0: about right now, I think coaches, like you said, I don't, I don't blame my coaches personally because they had good intentions and their intention. I perceive when they tell you, when when they disseminate this attitude of being um, tough being the alpha male never backing down you know they're they're trying to instill in you you know like a rocky motivation speech of never giving up and pushing through and sometimes that's great when it comes like for instance like you know when it's fourth the fourth quarter and you're tired and you know that's what the coaches are trying to push you there like you know maybe you're your knees a little bruised and you know, you're all banged up and something's going on with your rib. You know, you got to push through that for victory and that's great. Um, But I think there needs to be a distinction made between the rest of the body and your brain. Um, And you know, what, what, what pushing, how how you should never push symptoms of a brain injury. Um, But anyway, so when you're under that ethos, as a player, it's very difficult to break that spell. You know, you you can't distinguish between the, you know, pushing through an ankle injury and pushing through a head injury because you don't have the neuroscience background to frankly understand the difference or even the common sense because no one talks about it in that culture. Um, and I think the important thing to remember, you know, not to dash – anyone 's dreams any aspirational athletes who may be listening, but really it might be worth asking yourself, are you really going to go to the NFL is that maybe you are maybe you're you're a brilliant athlete and you're very sure you're going to go there um, but really whatever it is, think about where where does this road end for you? what are your long term goals? do you actually want to Maybe just play until college, get into a good school, and then be a doctor. Do you want to raise? Do you want? Do you want to? Do you want to marry a beautiful uh, woman? Do you want to meet your soulmate and raise a happy family and be a grandparent one day? Think about those things. Incorporate that into what your conception is of being a team player, because you can't sacrifice. You shouldn't sacrifice your long term goals, your long term happiness for the temporary success of this collective entity you call a team. Um, And that individualism is hard to practice because it's bred out of you. So so. Um, The reason discipline is so tight in football practice, you know, ever since the very beginning to the end, you know, it's yes, sir, you run through the line, tuck in that jersey. It's because to succeed, teams have to operate almost as a collective consciousness where you don't question the coach. You know, it's it's the antithesis of individuality. You're trying to become the coaches are trying to manifest a, a, a hive mentality so you have to be very cognizant of what's going on the military does the same thing that's why there's strict discipline there they don't want individualism they want uniformity so that is very analogous to what it means to be um, in a team in a, in a sports context and just so so it's fine and that's beautiful and it teaches discipline and pushing yourself and, and, and working with a group of 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 comrades towards a towards a a singular goal and you can help each other get there and that's beautiful just remember this might not be your highest calling in life and then when it comes to sacrificing your health be ready to be an individual before you're a team member
1: I I mean I feel like I'm in a a college lecture hall that was very well put and with all your analogies and stuff that was that was really great. And I think you hit the nail on the head with that one because there's a lot of good to that happens with teams like you like you mentioned. The only thing is what I think most young athletes don't think about when it comes to injuries is yeah, you might be playing injured and sacrificing your body for the good of the team, but none of your teammates or your coaches are going to be having to deal with the wrath of whatever you just put your body through for the rest of your life. And that's kind of what the boat that we're both in right now. Um, so stepping out of bounds and people calling you a sissy, like let them say whatever they want, but you're still going to live to play another down. So who who really freaking cares? And at the same time, how much are you really helping your team? If you hurt yourself trying to run someone over instead of going out of bounds, like you're not helping your team at all. So, if you if you put it that way, yeah, man, and, and also, yeah, hundred percent.
0: And um, another thought that just popped into my mind, you know, kind of like an um, an idea to appeal to the masculine nature of you know the many athletes um, who who play football is it actually takes a little bit more guts to do what's right for you in the long term when it comes to your health especially when it comes to your brain, it's actually more manly in my opinion from, from how I see it to stand up to your coaches and teammates and be willing to live knowing you're doing the right thing for you as a man, as a young man and not cowering under the, the, the thumb of, of a coach who's not going to be around like you said to take care of you when you're developing ALS. I think it's actually more a better re- representation of true masculinity to be willing to stand up for yourself over the long term.
1: I mean, I, I just got chills again uh, because <laughs> I, I completely agree. Like, it would have been tougher for it would have exuded more toughness for me to say, you know, coach, I got to sit out this week. My head's really bothering me. I don't know what's wrong. I need to get it checked out. Then it was for me to just go through the freaking motions and do what everyone expects you to do and suck it up and play hurt. Like that was easy. Like anyone could yeah. have do that. Like anyone could just freaking go through the motions, get banged around a little bit and just survive. But to take the initiative and to, you know, yeah, exactly. Stand up for yourself, which is what you're told not to do on a team, uh, or in the military, like you said, like that's to me, what toughness really is. Like that's, that was way harder to do. And obviously I didn't do it. So <laughs> it's taken a long right. time to, to learn that, but I completely agree with like your definition there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, it's a diff- the difference between, I think being a man and being a boy, and it's a hard lesson to learn, but the, The the earlier you can learn it, the better off you'll be in every arena
1: in your life, I think. Uh, We might have touched on this before, but what do you wish you knew uh, when you were playing? And I know at one point in your article you said you're not even sure if you would have listened to your own advice. And I think that's the tough dilemma that this conversation – like, it's great that we're having this conversation to try to prevent other athletes from making the same mistake that we made. But, I mean, put yourself Mm -hmm. back in your 17-year-old shoes like – Number one, I don't know how many seventeen-year-olds yeah. listen to podcasts. Um, but number two, I don't know how many. You know, I don't know if I would have listened to my own advice either. Like, if I can go back, I would still have a hard time telling my coach that I couldn't play. You know, like even knowing what I was going to go through, it's it's a tough thing.
0: Yeah, man, I know, and it, I I think you know it's kind of it has something to do with biology evolutionary biology where when you're a young man it's like you're willing to do anything for the tribe to, to prove your to yourself and to everyone else that you are a man that you're the alpha um, you know this is why the the recruitment age to the military is 18 instead of 35 or something you know because the, the young you know, and for throughout history young people um, people have always gone off to wars to, to fight and die because by the time you get to 35, you start thinking, do I want to do this? Who are we fighting? What's this about? You start, you, you have like a question intellectual it, yeah. <laughs> to, to start thinking about it. So, so when you're a young person, you just want to do whatever it is to prove that you are the ultimate, the, the, the apotheosis of, of masculinity, of toughness, of the soldier's mentality and so when you listen to two eggheads like us trying to intellectualize and, um, you know, kind of develop different arguments and different things to think about as it pertains to how you should play the game of football or any other game. Um, you just, you look at us, I, I might've looked at us like these people don't know what they're talking about. What they, they just don't want it. They didn't want it as bad as I want it. And that's the difference. These guys, they're sissies, you know, they, they, they obviously um, weren't
1: tough enough because their brains couldn't withstand the the, yeah. the brunt of the exactly. force. Yeah,
0: yeah, they don't get it. They they can't survive the fire like I can. You know, right? Um, so, but all you but what else can you do, man? Except try to um, put it as um, convincingly as you can and as honestly as you can about what you wish you would have done listen, done differently. And if any young guys are listening to this, just just trust us that there's many things to consider. It doesn't mean you should stop playing, but it does mean things can go wrong and you might kind of wish you did things differently, 100%.
1: Yeah, I think I, – I was under the impression when I played to like just play tough. Like that was – all I cared about was toughness. Whereas okay. now I look back, I'm like – and what I was trying to tell this – young football player who I'm jealous of. Like, I wish I could go back and, and play again with what I know yeah. now, you know, like, and, and do it the right way. And I just, all I say is like, just play smart. I'm like, if you play smart, you can keep playing. And I guarantee you that's going to end up. You're going to be way more successful that way than you will be if you try to be a freaking tough guy. Cause that, yes. and being, I feel like trying to be a tough guy is almost like trying to be a me guy. It really is like mm-hmm. you're more concerned about like feeding your ego and like proving to other people and trying to like live up to this like or build up this huge persona of like who you are. And I feel like you're more of a me guy when you try to, you know, when you play that way. So that's not really being a team yeah. member either. Yeah, man. Um and
0: also just one thing to tack on there. Think, think about if you're, I mean if you're a, a young person, um think about why maybe you feel like you have to prove yourself in the first place. I mean, it's kind of hard to be reflective, um, at a young age, but, but really think about like what's going on under the circuit board. Why do you feel you have to prove your toughness and your worth essentially to your peers through, um, sacrificing your health for me, for instance, Um, I was the youngest brother and I just wanted always to impress the older guys. I never had any of my own friends. I would hang out with my older brother and his friends. And of course they're just, you know, at the time we're kids. And so they're going to pick on you. And I always just felt less than, but I knew that I could, if I could tolerate pain, like they couldn't, then they would have to respect me. And looking back, it's just, it's so dumb. It was a childish hangover from, you know, some incidental um circumstance i grew up in and it's had permanent ramifications on my long-term health you know and i realize now looking back you know screw those guys you know i had other ways i could prove myself besides sacrificing my brain so so just think about why you you know talking to to the young athletes think about why you you feel like you have to prove yourself in the first place and think about who are you trying to impress are you trying to impress you or other people and if and if you're trying to impress if you're doing it for yourself then that's a good reason to do it but if that is why you're doing it like you told your friend play smart
1: I love that dude that was that was great uh just as we wrap up the conversation here there's one thing that I wanted to ask you before uh when you were first explaining your injury so you were conscious when the doctor is like, yeah, we're going to cut off a quarter of your skull. Like, what the hell were you thinking? Were you, like, scared out of your mind or what?
0: Yeah, kind of. But honestly, you go numb um, because you realize it's happening. So it's it's funny. You know, you can't – it's it's really hard to envision yourself and predict how you might respond. So if you've never – so let me ask you, though. You weren't
1: conscious at that point
0: or did you did you
1: – um, yeah, because you did have to say you got drained. But what so was your experience I guess like? I – yeah, technically I, could, I was conscious. So I remember them saying it, but my head hurt me so freaking bad. I didn't even care yeah. what they were going to do because I just wanted my head to feel better. So I'm like, all right, you're going to drill into my skull to okay. make my head feel better? Sure, do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I think I was uh, – I had a
0: similar experience, a similar mindset. Um, but you know, I just – it's kind of like – do you ever watch like a nature documentary – where a lion is chasing a pack of gazelles and they're freaking out trying to get away. Yeah. But as soon as the lion bites one, they just kind of go limp. It's like, they realize what's going to happen. You know, Just like, like, let it go. No, like, <laughs> yeah. Just let it go. Just relax. You know, just, <laughs> um, just tell, tell your mom, you love her one last time, you know, it just, Pray that, you know, your doctor got a good, good night's sleep the night before, you know, hopefully you wake up from this right. it, it's really, it's, it's really a surreal experience. It's hard to describe until you go through it, but, um, it's very trippy.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, I guess the thing is for me, like they didn't tell me what they were going to do. They just said like they were going to have cert, sur- like do surgery. Like, I think if I knew what they were actually going to do, like I remember waking up and having the scar on my head and be like, Oh my God, like same kind of idea. I'm like damaged goods. Like I'm Frankenstein. Now I got this giant scar on my head. (laughs) So I I was just curious, like what what you were thinking. Um, we kind of touched on this also, but this is how I end all my episodes or at least recently is, Mm uh, what's your definition of toughness and how has this definition evolved over time?
0: Wow. That's a good question. Um, my definition of toughness is it, it, it's, a, it's a complex of, of factors, but essentially it's fighting the good fight for you and what you know is right. So that's kind of vague, but essentially not fighting for someone else's dream, someone else's idea of what needs to happen, but fighting for your idea of what you want to transform yourself into or transform, transform the world into. And just because you're doing it for yourself doesn't mean you're doing it for selfish reasons. So, for example, if you're married with a wife and kids, you could be grinding at your job to, to provide a good living for your wife and kids, um and so you're doing it kind of for them but you're doing it because you decided that's what you wanted to do um i think beforehand uh when i was when i was younger when i was a teenager um i think i would have had a more blind definition of toughness something that that wasn't as aware and as inclusive of all the aspects um, to consider. So I would have just take, you know, gone under the wing of my coach and he says, I'm ready to play. He says, I seem fine and we got to win the big game. So I'm going in for him. That's what a tough guy does. And not thinking like, what am I, what am I doing? Like, what is, what is, you know, I'm a human being. I'm an individual who has this miraculous experience, this temporary experience called life. And, you know, us humans have this weird thing called a brain, and it's allowed us to build all these buildings and inventions and these computers that we're talking to each other right now. And, and what are we doing? I'm, I'm going to go take an inflatable ball and run it against people who want to tear my head off to get it across an imaginary line so that I can make the scoreboard over there make a different number. It, like, that doesn't make sense to me. But at the time, you know, you don't have that intellectual component uh, wired into your definition of toughness you know it's just blind toughness so so i guess to put it in one sentence before i had blind toughness now my conception of toughness is um toughness with your eyes open
1: like incorporating
0: that. intelligent component
1: yeah yeah dude, kind of that's, that's, that's great dude. yeah and not to like not to hate on football. Cause I, I want my podcast to be something that, you know, doesn't want to, I don't want people to not play football. I just want them to like right. be smart, be be more aware, self-aware of like while you're doing it. Cause it's freaking fun as hell. Like yes, you, you yes. talked about, you know, an inflatable piece of leather and you're trying to people are trying to rip your head off. I'm like, it's a lot of freaking fun at the end of the day, <laughs> but is, if you sure. do it in a safe way where it's not going to affect the rest of your life, that's really the ultimate end goal. Um, absolutely. So journey, yeah. thanks. Yeah. Journey. Thanks man for, uh, taking the time to share your story with us. And I have no doubt that it's going to prevent other athletes from making the same mistake that we did. And hopefully extending the careers of those, of those athletes who do end up listening to us. And, uh, just before we, we sign off, uh, uh, where can people find you like on social media and, and stuff
0: uh let's see I, I forget what my twitter handle is right now it might jbay 503 maybe um that, that, that was my rapper name okay. uh, <laughs> i think I, I recall i think i may have changed it to journey bailey it's one of those two um facebook Um, Facebook doesn't allow you to have the name Journey because they think you're trying to rip off the band. So my name on Facebook is J-O-U space R-N-E-Y Bailey. Um, Follow me if you want to. Like I said, I'm working on an article that hopefully will be out soon um, about my experience with um, Adderall and how that impacted my recovery from traumatic brain injury. I don't know if anyone has also had Adderall prescribed. And, uh, maybe if you have, you could learn a thing or two from my experience going through it. Um, you know, I'll, I'll definitely, I'll send you an email if it gets published and, uh, people can check that out too, if they want.
1: Cool. Yeah. I'll share that out and I'll, I'll find whatever your Twitter handle is and I'll put the links up there in, in the show notes. And I'll also link up your Huff- your previous Huffington post article. Um, and yeah, man, I really appreciate it. Thanks.
0: I appreciate you, Kevin. Thank you so much for having this podcast, man. I think it's really admirable and I really um, am uh, honored to have the experience to have been uh, featured on this episode. Thank you so much.
1: Anytime, dude.